Acts 15. We'll, we'll start with verse 35. This is... Uh, we're picking up with Paul and Barnabas just after they've, had, they've finished a controversy which required a whole council in Jerusalem to resolve it. And the controversy was about how to include the Gentiles, the people of other nationalities, in a faith that has its roots in Judaism. Do the Gentiles need to be initiated into Judaism in order to be saved? And the answer of the council at Jerusalem was Jesus only. Jesus and nothing. That the Gentiles just need to trust Jesus. And so now as Paul and Barnabas prepare to depart for a second missionary journey, they are facing some more controversies, some more small controversies, which challenge them and challenge their faithfulness. So let's look at these, and I think we can see from these passages, this passage actually the example that they set of faithfulness. Acts 15, starting with verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Father, would you be with your people as we open your word Would you fulfill your promise? Would you send your spirit? Lord Jesus, you promised that you would send the spirit. Would you send the spirit even now upon our hearts? Renew our faith, strengthen us, give us ears to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that of all the valuable things and treasures that we collect the chief of them has to be friendship, friendships. Everyone loves friendship so much. It's so valuable. I don't think we, we probably value our friends as much as we should, but everybody values friends. It's kind of automatic. Everybody knows that friends are just something valuable and precious and desirable and to be held on to. You know the, the afternoon walks in the, uh, a sunny park, 
the, uh, the late night talks where you don't even have to really say it. The other person just gets it. The uh, shared meals, uh, being out on the water together, being on a, a court playing ball. Uh, friends are so uh, wonderful. We love to have them. But you know, if, if all we bring to life is that we love our friends and hate our enemies, then we're not adding anything good to the world. Jesus says the same thing. He says, if you love those who love you, what are you doing more than others? So there's a, a challenge to love not only our friends, but to have something greater than the love of friends, to have a friendship that's higher and better than them all. And I think that that's what we see in this passage, something better than friendship. Jesus comes first. So in, in Acts 15, the issue had been that it's only Jesus, that the gospel is only Jesus. But now, as we come to this section that we've just read, the issue is that the gospel comes first. That we have to put the gospel before other concerns, other issues, that we need to be on Christ's mission. Christ calls his disciples to follow him and to go for him and to be on his mission, to be about his work. And so Jesus calls disciples to put the gospel first. And Paul's story here in this passage is an illustration of just that. Actually, two illustrations of uh, Paul being challenged to put the gospel first. So I'm suggesting that this passage here that we're about to read about Paul and Barnabas having a, a sharp dispute and parting is actually a good example for us to follow. And uh, I think you might be confused as... Seth asking for more divisions and separations in the church. And so uh, let me explain why I think this is an example. First of all, Luke's overall purpose in this whole section of, of the book of Acts is to show us Paul and to take us through his life and to show him as an example and someone that we should look up to and imitate. And then there's never a rebuke or an apology or a change of mind. They part ways, and they part ways, and that's it. They have the sharp dispute, and nobody says, I'm sorry. And then, what we find in, instead of an apology or a rebuke is that the brothers commend Paul and Silas and send them off with their blessing. And then, at the end of the passage we read in, in uh, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, God adds a blessing, and the churches are blessed through Paul's ministry. So I think that we need to try to find a way to read about this dispute and conflict in a way that is presenting Paul and Barnabas as examples. How are we going to get at this? Let's look at this from the perspective of Barnabas. Let's start with Barnabas. Barnabas is... One of the main characters in the book of Acts, we first met him in chapter 4, where we learned that his name is not Barnabas. Actually, he is Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who sold a field and brought the money and put it at the feet of Peter so that it could be distributed to those who had any need. So he is Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, 
whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. In other words, Barnabas was his nickname. He was such an encourager. That's who Barnabas was. That's who he is. That that was the nickname they gave him. They quit calling him Joseph. They call him son of encouragement. So Barnabas uh, was Paul's sponsor. When Paul was first converted, uh, after about three years, he came down to Jerusalem, and Barnabas was down there in Jerusalem, and he had gotten to know Paul already by that point. And Paul wanted to join the fellowship of the believers in Jerusalem, and they were all afraid of him because he's their former persecutor. Barnabas takes him and brings him to the, apostle, to the apostles and introduces him. And then when Barnabas was sent up to... Um, sent up to Antioch to plant the church there, uh, Barnabas went and got, got Paul. And he brought him down and uh, gave Paul his start there at the, the church in Jerusalem. So this has been a long relationship. It's been a very positive relationship. And uh, the, the two of them have uh, been maybe 15 years working closely together, and they've gone on this first missionary journey. And now uh, Paul proposes that they go out, revisit the churches that they visited on their other journey, see how they're doing. You know, Paul has a proposal. Paul wants to get out and, and, and see those people. He has a heart for the mission field. And uh, so he suggests going on out there. I don't know if you've uh, gotten involved in, in gospel ministry, if you've started sharing the gospel with people. If you've been uh, looking for opportunities to read the Bible with somebody, looking for opportunities just to pray for somebody and, uh, and share with them, once you start doing this, you start getting hooked. It becomes so exciting and so joyful that you just can't get enough of it and you want to do more. And that's how Paul is. they just got to get back and see these people. Barnabas has a condition. We'll do this if we can bring John Mark. And Paul objects, and so they have the disagreement and the parting. It seems like such a trivial difference, such a trivial dispute. Why are they having this difference? Well, Barnabas is an encourager. He is an encourager, and that's what he's always been. We see how he was encouraging Paul, and now... um, uh, he wants to take Mark along, of course, because that's who Barnabas is. And besides, Luke doesn't tell us this, but we find this out in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Mark is Barnabas' cousin, and he wants to help Mark along. He sees a guy who has a heart for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth, but who's a little bit unstable, needs some help, needs to learn his his, uh, his moves a little bit better, needs some, some training and some practice. And so uh, Barnabas, who's from Cyprus, wants to take Mark back to Cyprus, where Mark had gone and successfully served for a time, and kind of run him through the paces and give him some practice and stretch him a little bit in an in a area where he might be more comfortable and then prepare him for more work beyond that. Barnabas sees perhaps that his work with Paul is done. 
You know, when, when they were in, on their first missionary journey, we read that Paul was the main speaker. Paul was the chief speaker. Uh, so it's becoming more and more like Barnabas is not the mentor for Paul, but he's becoming the assistant for Paul. And Barnabas perhaps feels that he's got a different calling at this point, and it's time for him to take on a new project. So looking at it from Barnabas' perspective, you know, Barnabas wants to keep a balance between the mission and care. He wants to do a little bit of rehab with Mark, but he wants to equip leaders for the, the Great Commission. So there's Barnabas. It makes sense from his point of view. Look at things from Paul's point of view. Paul is also a, a unique person. If Barnabas is the son of encouragement, Paul is the chosen instrument. That's what Jesus called him when, when he called him. So when Paul was converted, this is what Jesus said. He said, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. He's my chosen instrument. And uh, so Paul is a guy with a heart for the work, a heart for the mission. And uh, he doesn't want to be slowed down. Listen to how he describes his ministry in Romans 15, verse 20. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for necessity is laid upon me. I am under compulsion. If Paul doesn't preach, he's in trouble because he has specifically been appointed and commanded to go and carry the gospel. He doesn't have an option. Barnabas can do this out of, the, you know, out of his love for the Lord, but Paul has been commanded to go. No two ways about it. So Paul has to go, and he has to go with all his heart because he wants to please his Lord. Paul tries to put more emphasis on mission so that his disciples will multiply and they will do more of the caring that he isn't called to. So to Paul, Mark looks like he's not quite ready He's not reliable. Paul instead, uh, upon the departure of Barnabas and Mark, he takes Silas. Silas, a gifted and dedicated man. A man who was actually written about in the letter from the council at Jerusalem. That letter recommended uh, the two people who were sent to carry the letter Judas and Silas, and said that these are men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Silas is this great guy, and he's come down, and his ministry in Antioch is described that he was, that uh, Judas and Silas were prophets, and they were encouraging the people. So, uh, you know, Paul has been working side by side with Silas. He's seen his ministry. He appreciates him. He understands who he is. And he says, this is a solid guy. This is a guy who won't flake out because, you know, Paul is not just going to go and visit the cities that they visited last time. That's just the start. They're going to continue on. They're going to cross the Aegean Sea and go over into Macedonia and Greece. And they're going to, uh, Paul's going to spend 18 months in Corinth uh, 
before he finally begins the journey to come back to Antioch. So Paul needs someone he can trust and rely on. That's Paul's perspective. So Paul takes off, commended by the Lord. Um, they travel by land through, uh, through, Syria, through Syria and Cilicia. They come across the mountains and take the land route, and they come to the, the, uh, the other end of their, their previous uh, uh, journey itinerary. The furthest they had gotten when they traveled before was Derby. So he finally reaches Derby where Barnabas had gone the other way and had gone through Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. And uh, so they've divided up the work between them. Uh, you take Cyprus and I'll go by land and start at the other end. They're commended by the brothers. They go on and then they add Timothy to their band when they get to Lystra and Iconium. They finish their visits in verse, chapter 16, verse 4. They visited the churches And then God's blessing in in verse 5, and they begin the next great phase of the mission work. Barnabas followed his calling, and it was despite a painful parting that he followed his calling to build up John Mark and to build up the work and encourage the disciples there in Cyprus. Paul followed his calling to build up a team and to begin to launch a new phase of the ministry and to go to regions beyond. So they both followed their calling and they put the gospel first over friendships. Wow. And uh, so there was this sharp disagreement on the occasion of their parting. Oh, for more sharp disagreements like this among the people of God. I think it's a good thing. You know, we, we have these things sometimes, like when people leave our church and go and start to attend Beechwood Congregational or uh, Squantum Christian Fellowship or they go to start some other church, some other work, and they leave our fellowship. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for that and we're thankful and we're excited about it. And yet, you know, when we see them, it's it's a little awkward and we feel a little funny. We want to just start off right where we left off, but then it's like, wait a minute, you're you're not part of our fellowship. You're not part of our group anymore. You're part of that other group over there. And uh, we appreciate you and everything. And, but something's kind of not right. I mean, what, did we do something wrong? I mean, don't. Don't you like uh, our church? Is that place better? I mean, what, what is it? And uh, did, did we disappoint you? Were you offended somehow? So there's a little awkwardness, just a little bit. It gives you a little bit of, a, of the flavor of how partings can be awkward and difficult. But I'll tell you how they can really, they often get more awkward, more painful, and more sharp is like in a growth group. And you have too many people in the growth group for you all to meet together at one time in one place. And so the conversation starts to come up. Why don't we start up another growth group? And some of us will go. We've got multiple people here who can be leaders. And let's take some of us and go and make another growth group. So who's ready to go? Crickets. No one wants to go. 
Uh, and so someone keeps pushing on it and pushing on it. And before you know it, you've got a sharp disagreement in the growth group. And, uh, you know, the word that's used in the, in the original language about a, a sharp disagreement is not the same word that's used when there was all the debate and argument about circumcision. That was, uh, you know, another set of vocabulary. But here, it's a very emotional word. And it can mean an irritation. It's upsetting to talk about going different directions and having different visions and not being compatible anymore and splitting up. And people get upset. And so that's, that's what I think was happening with Paul and Barnabas. And I think that's what happens with us a lot of times in, in our own setting. When there is a sharp disagreement like that, when there's an irritation like that in your growth group, it's not bad. It doesn't mean necessarily, that someone's not following the Holy Spirit. It's good. It means that you love each other. And it means that you're committed to mission and the gospel. And you're putting the gospel over friendships. And it's painful. And it's a difficult parting. But it's worth it. It's kind of like, you know, as, as Jeremy says, I, I agree you know, it's kind of like giving birth. And, uh, you know, just as Jeremy says, it's, it's one of the most painful things that I've ever had to do. <laughs> but, but we go through it with the hope that, you know, that there's new life. And, and then that new growth group, perhaps it's going to go through the same thing and, and have its own terrible, sharp dispute and irritation and, and disagreement and and lovingly follow different visions together. So Paul and Barnabas give up their partnership, but not their friendship. They give up their collaboration, but not their mission. They give up teaching together, but they still teach the same thing. They, they separate, but they stay united. And so when Paul and Luke work on this uh, when, you know, Luke takes up under Paul's leadership the writing of this book of Acts. He includes a, uh, a, a, a summary, a characterization of Barnabas in chapter 11, verse 24. He was a good man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and many people came to the Lord. That's Barnabas. That's what Paul thinks of Barnabas high esteem, a man of faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and a man who's fruitful in ministry. So Jesus calls disciples to put the gospel first. Paul and Barnabas parted because the gospel is first over friendships. So then Paul goes and meets Timothy, and there's another controversy that arises quietly, more of a uh, Personal, another personal kind of controversy that arises. And Paul and Timothy realize that they have to put the gospel first over fights and over rights. The gospel still has to come first. Well, let's look then in chapter 16 in the first few verses. And uh, he came to 
Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. So, so Timothy is introduced to us. Um, and uh, Timothy was converted during the, the last visit. Um, uh, so so, so first, first they, they come to Derby and Lystra. And um, Paul has bad memories of this place. So it mentions the uh, uh, Iconium and Lystra. You know, it was the Jews of Iconium and Lystra who had attempted to execute Paul by stoning. And then they, they left him dead outside of the city. Left him for dead, um, but he wasn't dead. Um, Paul is overcoming his resentment and he shows that the gospel is more important than the hostilities and the bitternesses that he feels towards those people. So when he sees Timothy and he finds that Timothy is, uh, is doing well, perhaps Timothy is a teacher and the brothers are speaking well of his ministry, but his father was a Greek. That's repeated twice. His father was a Greek. So, uh, so then Paul says that he's got to have, uh, have Timothy you know, circumcised. He's got to make him officially Jewish. So what's going on here? We come to another puzzle. It was hard to untangle the first puzzle about the dispute. But now, why does Paul have Timothy initiated into Old Covenant Judaism? It's confusing because we've just had the big controversy in Jerusalem about circumcision. Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. And uh, it's Jesus only. Jesus plus nothing. So then why is, is Paul having Timothy uh, circumcised? It's kind of confusing. But it's even more confusing uh, if you look in Galatians. So if you would keep your uh, place there in Acts and uh, flip over to Galatians chapter 5, page 1154. Galatians 5, a letter from Paul, written most likely before these events, before this visit, to these churches in the province of Galatia, the churches in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and those areas. And in this letter, Paul practically forbids Gentiles to be circumcised in the most strident terms he can summon. And then he comes there and has Timothy circumcised. Let me read to you Galatians 5, the first uh, four verses. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Well, I think the the passage explains itself. It explains the difference. The motive 
for circumcision that Paul is opposing and forbidding is the motive of trying to get right with God by a ritual. It's the motive of Jesus plus something, and that Paul absolutely refuses. It's Jesus only. That's why they had that big controversy. So there's another purpose for the circumcision here in Acts 16. There's another purpose for Timothy being initiated. And what would that be? You can see it in Acts 16, verse 3. The reason Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. What area? Lystra and Iconium, the Jews of the synagogues who had tried to kill Paul. Paul's mortal enemies. Paul is concerned that they will not see Timothy as a scandalous character according to their understanding. You see, Timothy was the son of a Jewess and a Greek. Timothy had a Jewish heritage. Timothy, according to Judaism, had an obligation to value that heritage and to live it out. He had an obligation to fully cross over and become a Jew, even though his father was a Greek and had never made that, made that uh, move. Timothy had an obligation because he was a part of the people and he didn't do it. And so how is Paul supposed to go about his ministry with Timothy in tow and go into the synagogues in various cities and proclaim the gospel? with this scandalous character. No, Paul is concerned that these people, these Jews, these enemies of his, should not have any stumbling block in the way of the gospel. The gospel comes before fights. And uh, so Timothy submits to it because the gospel comes before rights. Timothy doesn't have to be circumcised. He doesn't need this. It's not going to add anything to him. But he's concerned for these people that the gospel might be clear to them, that they might be able to open their ears and give their hearts to it. Paul is motivated by his love for the lost. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10. He says, My heart's desire And prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In Romans 9, he puts it in even more pathetic language. Listen to him. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul desires their salvation. He desires that they experience the love that he's experienced. And the fact that their persecutors doesn't slow him down, he knows what that's all about. So, the, um, this little passage in Acts is Paul and Timothy speaking to you about rights and fights and the gospel. And they're speaking by their actions, by what they do, by how they put 
the, the needs of others and the misunderstandings that others are subject to before their own uh, uh, antipathy, their own aversion, their own dislike or fear of these people. But uh, they're, they're, here they're speaking in, in actions. I want to show you a place where, they, where Paul speaks in plain words. If you'll turn, uh, again, keep your place in Acts and turn over to Act, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, page 1134. And here Paul uh, describes what he is willing to do, the way he's willing to give up his rights for those who, who, uh, who have misunderstandings about the gospel. Because he wants the gospel to come across. He doesn't want them to refuse to listen because they, they, they're confused or they're missing the point. So he wants to make the point of the gospel so clear he's willing to, uh, to do whatever he has to do on his side to make it clear. 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 19. Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share its blessings. And then Paul points his finger at you and me in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, put the gospel first. There's a, a line to tread between setting yourself apart as a Christian, as a person who is called to be holy by God, and uh, setting yourself apart so much that you erect walls and you, you keep the gospel away from people who need to hear. Can you find that line? Can you share in some common, harmless things with people who don't know Christ and don't believe? Yesterday, a number of us attended um, a mass down at uh, Holy Family in Rockland. There was a member of our church, kind of a new member, who passed on and still had you know, her connections back in, in the Catholic Church, and so that's where the funeral took place. And so we, you know, we attended the Mass, gratefully and happily. It's a small thing to step into a Catholic Church and to share with them. Of course, the thing is that we have to be faithful to the Gospel and faithful to our testimony. 
And so there are points in that service at which you know, we have to sort of reluctantly withhold our participation because it's Jesus and. You know, Jesus and the church. Jesus and the sacraments. Jesus and Mary. Jesus and ritual. And we don't add to Jesus. It's just Jesus. So, you know, the, 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 uh, the minister, the priest, was, uh, was very gracious and he understood who, who was there and he welcomed us all and made us feel very at home. And uh, so it was, a, it was a nice occasion, a way of building bridges, a way of making connections. And you know, God's at work among Catholics, even though they, they don't dot the I's right and they don't cross the T's right. And, you know, those I's and T's are important, you know, but, uh, you know, but God is God and he, he works without asking the permission of the Baptists over on Main Street. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so, so we have hopes. We have hopes for, for many of them. Um, I mean, if, so is there a way for you to meet some expectations of non-Christians? I mean, Catholics are not that far. Uh, there are a lot of folks who are really far from us in terms of our belief. And connecting with them can be more of a challenge for our testimony, to keep a good testimony and yet to keep a good relationship. How can we do that? Um, you know, maybe you've got relatives. Um, are you calling? Are you sending cards and visiting? Are you offering to pray? And um, attending events. You know, sometimes that, that can actually be awkward. You know, you have the, the brother or the sister, the close relative who has, a, you know, non-traditional partnership. And uh, so then they want to solemnize that. They want to have a wedding. And of course, you're invited. You know, it's your sister. So what do you do? Does this compromise your testimony? You know, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You have to find your, your way. There, there's got to be a path here somehow to maintain the relationship with your, your sister and maintain your testimony I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think you should go to the wedding. But, you know, you, 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 otherwise you're cutting off your sister. So is there a way to a, attend and not, you know, fully say that this is what you believe in? And, uh, to allow it to be uh, just left that you're, you don't have to, you know, like we can attend a Mass. We don't have to agree, we don't have to be Catholic to attend the Mass. You don't have to be a Baptist to come here. You don't have to be a Christian to come here. You can come and be part. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know Christ, we're talking about a friendship that is better than all friendships, a friendship that endures forever, a heavenly friendship, a friend who is closer than a brother, sweeter than a friend. And uh, we want for you to discover this friendship. It's better than getting your own way. Knowing Christ and following him is better than being able to pick your friends and pick your enemies. Jesus uh, says that the one who, who puts him first really ends, out, ends up 
coming out ahead. Even if you lose friendships, even if you put friendships behind you for the sake of the gospel, you still come out ahead. Here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, Luke 18, 29. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Paul found this true. He parted from Barnabas and later he also received Mark as a co-worker. He said, near the end of his life, lonely and in prison, in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for good news that's better than life. Good news of reconciliation for eternity. Good news of a fellowship that's never broken. A place where we can be with all of our friends in a perfect bliss. Oh, Father, help us to value the gospel and to keep putting it first and to not let our friendships block it or our aversions or our enmities or our fights. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.